My name is Keith Beavers, and I haven't had a haircut in four months. I'm starting to look a lot like Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi, or as somebody said to me recently, later career Michael McDonald. <laughs> Thank you. I keep forgetting we're not in love anymore. Oh, sorry. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode 7 of Vine Pairs Wine 101 Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers, and I'm the tastings director of Vine Pair. What's up? Can you feel it? Are you a little bit lightheaded? Can you feel the bubbles coming? Today, wine lovers, we talk about sparkling wine. How does that happen? How do we get the bubbles in the thing and then pop it with the bubbles in the thing so it doesn't hit us in the eyes and all that? This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Jay Vineyards and Winery. For over 30 years, Jay Vineyards and Winery has developed a reputation as one of the top sparkling and varietal wine producers in California. With styles from bright and bubbly to bold and complex, Jay Wines offer remarkable range and exceptional craftsmanship that you'll want to share. Jay has come to be known for its celebrated estate vineyards, contemporary winery, and world-class hospitality. Uncork joy with Jay and let life bubble over. Isn't wine just crazy, guys? I always say that. I'm going to say it again. Isn't wine just crazy, guys? I mean, we make red wine with all the stuff. We make white wine with not all the stuff. We make rosé wine with half of the stuff. And we make orange wine with all the stuff, but a different kind of stuff. That's crazy stuff. And then we have sparkling wine where... Not only do we make wine from stuff, but we also have an additional thing where we trap natural gas in the bottle so that when we open it, it's carbonated. I mean, like, whoops, what? Guys, sparkling wine is lunacy. It's the most awesome lunacy the wine world has to offer, I think. One of the most crazy things we have. We... Winemakers spend their entire lives, some of them, trapping natural gas in a bottle that has the pressure of three times a car tire. Yeah. And that pressure wasn't just realized overnight, like, oh, look, there's pressure. This is cool. We're going to make this sparkling wine. No, this is like an entire style of wine that was developed out of danger. (laughs) Literally, Property being destroyed through explosions somewhere in your home on a spring night, which I'm going to get into. And what is, but what is this thing called sparkling? What is this thing? This thing that the French call Mousseau or Quemont, or the, the Italians call it Spumante. The Spanish call it Espumoso, and the Germans call it Set. Here in America, we just call it Bubbly. <laughs> Actually, I got to get this on the record. I've been saying this out loud for so many years, and I know Adam Teeter, the CEO of Vine Pair, has heard me say it over and over and over again, but I have this idea. So if the industry of the United States, the wine industry of the United States is listening to me, how about we start calling American sparkling wine, wait for it, American sparklers. Just, I know it sounds simple, but you think 4th of July, sparklers, fireworks, you know, USA. So, okay, I'm going to jump off the, I'm going to jump off that soapbox real quick, but just it's on the record now. But essentially, what a sparkling wine is is a wine that involves the accumulation of gas under pressure in a bottle that was initially just a still wine. That's just the 
quick and easy way of saying it. And with that being said, you can kind of you can understand that the a sparkling wine can be just as varied as a still wine. It can be it can have any degree of sweetness. It can be any color. It can vary in how intense the alcohol strength is. It can be made anywhere in the world that wine is made, actually. So it's just like still wine, has all the variations. There's just this one thing called bubbles that changes everything. And those bubbles also have a bunch of varying things going on. You can have a wine with soft bubbles. You can have a wine with persistent bubbles. You can have wine with bubbles that attack your palate like in a good way. You can have bubbles that are like not even almost, not even there. Like, does this one have bubbles in it? Oh, I got a bubble. And in the bubble category, depending on the strength of the bubbles, wines will have different names. Like in French, a lightly bubbling wine is called Petillon. It's called Frizzante in Italian, and it's called Spritzig in German. Spritzig, Spritz, that makes sense. And Italians even have a name for wine with the faintest amount of bubbles in them. It's basically a still wine, but when you sip it, it just has these little, little like bubbly things on your tongue. It's called vivace, or the lively style of wine. And the Italians are like, we won. We have spumante, frizzante, and vivace. <laughs> Good for you guys. One thing we like to say a lot in the wine world when we're studying the history of wine is like, oh, this is a result of a happy accident. And that's true. A lot of stuff from wine comes from happy accidents. The whole idea of wine aging in oak, which at some point we'll talk about. But the happy, quote unquote, accident for sparkling wine, I don't know how happy that accident was. And just like with rosé and just wine in general, like we don't really know when sparkling wine began. But we do have moments in time and places in the world that started harnessing this thing and making wine from it because they thought it was really cool. They're <laughs> delicious. The first real documentation we have of sparkling wine is in a little town called Limoux in the 16th century. This is in southern France in the mountainous kind of foothills of the Pyrenees. And Limoux had a, um, a monastery called Saint-Hilaire. And the monks of that monastery grew a grape called Mosaic. And they made a sparkling wine out of Mosaic. It's still actually today, to this day, you can still buy sparkling wine from that region. It's also very affordable. It's called Blanquette de Limoux, which means the white wine of Limoux, because for them, the white wine is the sparkling wine. You feel me? And then in the 17th century, champagne comes into play with sparkling wine. And then in the 18th century, we have Prosecco happening. And then Cava comes around in the 19th century as well as American sparkling wine. But, but, but let's talk about how is this made? How is this stuff made, Keith? No matter what style of sparkling wine you make and no matter what part of the world you make it in, whatever, no matter what, it all comes down to that second fermentation. And this idea comes about from all that danger and accident I was talking about. Imagine this pre, you know, pre-modern technology. You have the glass bottle is invented at this point, and you're a winemaker and you make wine. You're in a you're in a region where it gets cold in the winter. So, you know, September comes around, you harvest your grapes, you crush, you ferment, you make your wine. And this is pre-modern stabilization technology. So you have to rack your wine. That's kind of what you got. You rack wine, you siphon, you rack, you siphon, you try to get as much organic junk out of the wine as you can. You bottle it and you lay it down for the winter. Cool. Then you have a winter. Fine. Great. Awesome. Enjoy your winter. The winter comes to an end. You've been going down to the cellar every once in a while, checking on the bottles. Everything looks fine. It's getting warm outside. 
And then one night you're sleeping, and down in that wine cellar or wherever they, wherever you keep your wine, that wine, that area is getting a little bit warmer because it's getting a little bit warmer outside. And as those bottles start to warm up a little bit, you know what wakes up? All those little yeast cells that are still kind of floating around in that bottle. And when a yeast cell wakes up, what does it want to do? I'm hungry. It starts looking for sugar and it finds it and then it eats it and it converts the sugar into a little bit of alcohol and a lot of carbon dioxide. Now what happens here is as the carbon dioxide is produced and when we're making wine, it usually flies off into the air in the winery, but here it's trapped inside of a bottle. So the carbon dioxide goes back into the wine and dissolves into the wine to the point where it can't dissolve into the wine anymore. And when it can no longer dissolve into the wine, it keeps producing CO2, it creates more and more pressure, and that bottle just bursts. And the bursting of that bottle hits another bottle, and that bottle bursts, and then that bottle bursts, and all these bottles start bursting, and you wake up in the middle of the night, and you go to see where your wine's at, and oh my god, all you have is broken glass everywhere, and all this damaged property, and what happened? Sparkling wine happened. This is how humans started understanding sparkling wine. <laughs> it got so bad at one point, somewhere, I don't know if it was in Champagne or somewhere, they started calling this the devil's wine because it would just burst apart like demons inside the bottle or something. But this is the thing. Somebody somewhere was like, you know what, guys? This is actually kind of delicious. I don't know what their understanding with acidity was, but it heightens that acidity. It heightens the whole perception of acidity. And it, it, the wine is a little bit more refreshing. So I can imagine at some point, humans were like, we got to figure out how to make this work. And then it, it happened. And then the first documentation was in the 16th century. You know, the, the, the monastery in Limoux was like, you know what? We're writing this down, <laughs> but in French. The thing is like humans started kind of trying to figure this thing out because it be, as it became more and more popular. And as, you know, wine tastes and perceptions changed, this whole idea of a sparkling wine in a bottle turned into this sort of more of an elegant thing and, to, and, and in doing so had to kind of clean itself up a little bit. So what it comes down to is there are two major ways to make sparkling wine. There are two ways to capture that second fermentation. The first one is called the traditional method, which is basically drawn from that original story of a happy, dangerous accident. And this being as old as this method is, it has a bunch of names. It's the traditional method. It's the classical method. It's the classical traditional method. In French, it's méthode traditionnelle or méthode classique. So if you see that on any bottle, that's what we're talking about. The other method is called the Charmat method, but we'll get to that in a second. The, 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 the traditional method, this is probably one of the most meticulous winemaking processes we have. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy what we do. So over time, this is what we, this is what humans have figured out. This is the way sparkling wine is made today. So right out of the gate, wine lovers, things are different. The grapes that are destined to be in sparkling wine are different than the grapes that are destined to be in still wine. When you're making still wine, you're in the vineyard, you want to make sure you get a, the, that beautiful balance we talked about of sugar, natural sugar, and acidity, that, that beautiful ripe grape. For sparkling wine, they don't want all that sugar because it, the result does not have that beautiful, elegant, heightened acidity feel to it. So they often pick grapes for sparkling wine early. For example, in, for, in California, they'll pick in August instead of September. 
So these very high acid grapes, this is another thing that's interesting, is they don't destem and crush these grapes. They do the same thing we talked about in um, the rosé episode with the direct press. They do a direct press. What they do is they take full whole, I mean, whole bunches of grapes and they gradually, uh, steadily apply pressure and burst those grapes. And this is really cool. And there's, of course, there's a pan underneath to catch the juice. These grapes pop. The juice runs slowly but steadily down the, the actual stems are like conduits for the juice and they just kind of like drip through the bunches into the pan. What this does is this, um, of, of course, if we're making, you know, white wine from red wine grapes, you don't want any pigment, but they're just trying to get the best first fresh juice from this harvest. And just like in still winemaking, it's often thought that the first juice, the first run juice from this process is the best for the resulting wine. And so they make this wine like we all know how wine is made now because we listen to Wine 101 podcast and we love this podcast so much. We all we already know this stuff. But one thing to understand here is that this wine is called, is what is called base wine. You know, it's not even called, they call they don't really consider this some something special yet. It's a high acid, low sugar, tart, austere wine. And because the thing about sparkling wine is the, the beauty and the complexity of a sparkling wine often comes from its interaction during the second fermentation. But don't get me wrong, the quality of the, the grapes and the quality of the base wine is extremely important for the resulting wine. It's always that way. If it's not good in the vineyard, it's not good in the wine, it's just always going to be the rule. And any flaw in your base wine is going to be amplified by the bubbles and the perception of acidity in the sparkling wine. So it's very important, but among the wine, the sparkling wine making community, it's often, it's thought that blending is like the best thing to do with base wines. There are wines made from a single variety, sparkling wines, but the majority of wines are blended. And in regions like Champagne, blending is crazy, crazy important. I mean, they do make single varieties, uh, sparkling wines and champagne. But the thing about champagne is they actually will have um, uh, old vintages in reserve in their wine cellars. They blend into every year to have sort of a house blend. But it's it's an important, it's like you can kind of see how important this base wine thing is and also the art of blending. And again, we're going to get into blending too. We have a blending episode coming up, so that'd be cool. And after the blend is done, here we are, guys. This is it. This is where sparkling wine is actually created. This is the second fermentation process. After the blend is made, it's put into bulk. Yeast and sugar is added to this wine, still wine, base wine, and then put into bottles. And once that wine goes into bottles, they put it a, a, a crown, kind of a beer cap on top of it. And guys, this is the coolest thing in the world. I mean, that, that yeast and sugar that they add to the wine before they bottle it and put a cap on it, the amount of sugar they put in is about 24 grams per liter. And what's so cool about that is they've figured out that that amount is, the, is just the right amount for the yeast to do a few things. To eat the sugar, create a little bit of alcohol, probably 1.2% extra, and create just the right amount of carbon dioxide so the bottle doesn't blow up. <laughs> it's just cool that we figured that out. I don't know. I think it's cool. And so for up to eight weeks sometimes, this bottle will be on its side, horizontal, with a crown cap. 
uh, at about 54, 55 degrees Fahrenheit, just fermenting and creating pressure and becoming sparkling wine. And after this fermentation process starts to wind down, just like in any other winemaking process, the yeast cells die, they become lees, but they're not rising to the top of vats. They're just hanging out suspended in this wine, which is now a bubbly wine. Inside, you don't see the bubbles, but inside there's a bunch of pressure and carbon dioxide and dead yeast cells. And this really unique thing happens, and I mentioned it a little bit in previous episodes, but we're going to talk about it a little more here. Something called autolysis happens, and it's not fully understood, but what it does is as the cellular walls of these yeast cells break down, they interact with the wine and, and, and for some, somehow it imparts this beautiful kind of like earthy aroma and different kind of complexities in the resulting wine. So if you stick your nose in a wine, you're like, oh my God, I just feel like, oh, that's nice, earthy, awesome. What is that? That is the result partly of autolysis. And this aging on the lees thing can go for like 9, 12, 15, plus 18 months. It depends on what the winemaker wants to do, as well as the rules that are in the area of the region in which the sparkling wine is being made. But it's not that it takes a long time for this autolysis thing to really show its awesomeness. Like some people think, you know, you have to age the wine for like, on the lees for like 18 months or more to really get the best out of it. So it kind of gives you an idea why sometimes sparkling wine is considered a little more expensive and special because of these kinds of things that have to happen to make it awesome. See how meticulous this is? Because we're not done, guys. This is now what happens. So we've 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 made a base wine, we've blended the wine, we've we've put more yeast and sugar into a bottle. We're doing a second fermentation in the bottle, creating pressure and allowing the dead yeast cells to hang out with the wine to increase the complexity of the wine. And now we have to get all that material, all that junk in that bottle out of the bottle without losing the wine. How do we do that? Well, back in the day, what they used to do is they would have these A-frame, these wooden A-frames, and in the, they would drill these holes in the wooden A-frame so that when you put this crowned bottle into the wood, it would, it would, head, it would, it would go in at an angle. And what, would that, what that would do is because like all this junk is suspended in the wine, you would have to kind of like agitate the bottle every once in a while so that you could encourage all the organic material to get, your, get all the way down to the neck to get it all in one place so that you can figure out what to do with it after that. This is called riddling. And what happened back in the day is literally people would just hang out every day in a wine cellar and go through and turn every bottle a little bit at a time, putting a chalk mark on that thing, like I already did that one, and kept going and going and going. Well, the Spanish in the Cava region, which is a sparkling wine in, in Spain, they invented something called a gyroplate. And what that does is that can hold over 500 bottles at a time, and it will riddle and change, it'll riddle those bottles at intervals that you can program over a three-day period. That's crazy cool because doing it the old school way would take about six weeks or more. So <laughs> technology's awesome. So are you getting the lunacy here? Are you get you understanding like this this wine is being created through this uh, large amount of pressure in this glass bottle. And now what we're gonna do is we're going to open this bottle up for just a second. And we're going to try to get all the stuff out of the bottle without losing the bubbles in the wine. What is this? What do we, how do we figure this out? 
This is a, a process called the disgorgement, which is really kind of the final piece in the production of sparkling wine. And what, what that does is we, we, it literally just means you disgorge it. You get the stuff out. And this is how they used to do it. Now they have technology, but this is pretty intense. What they would do is they would freeze the neck of the bottle by plunging it into a liquid freezing solution. And then they would let the neck of the bottle freeze and the organic material in that neck of the bottle freeze. Then they would quickly open the crown cap and then out would shoot a pellet of ice, which is all of the junk that was used to make the second fermentation bubbly happen. And this pellet of ice is like, you know, like two, around two centimeters or so. And then they, what they'll do is they would, they, They'll, they top off the wine bottle with a little bit of wine and sugar syrup. This is called the dosage. And then they put a cork in it, put a cage on it, and yo, that's sparkling wine for you guys. And this dosage thing is kind of weird. because It's not weird. It's kind of cool. So you have this very kind of austere wine that may have had whatever, whatever was done to it during the second fermentation process. It, it gained some sort of complexity. But sometimes if it's too austere, they'll add that little dosage of sugar to kind of sweeten things up a little bit. And it's usually... Um, grams per liter. And that's the cool part. The weird part is the words they, as they assign to these categories of how much gr uh, grams per liter you're putting in. For example, the most, the least amount they put in, it's called Brut Nature, which is less than three grams per liter in a bottle. Now, if you drink that, that is going to be a bone dry, kick you in the teeth, like, this is a really dry sparkling wine. This is this really dry. Then as you get to extra brut, brut, extra dry, dry, medium dry, and all that, you're literally just getting further and further away from that sort of like extremely intense dry. So brute is going to be just a little bit more less intense than that. So again, these are not going to be wildly significant changes. If you buy a dry and an extra dry, it doesn't always really kind of come through. You'll get to know, as you drink sparkling wine, you'll get to know these ideas and you'll kind of understand them with your own palate and decide what you like and what you don't like. So that was insane. That is one of the most meticulous, most involved winemaking processes I think that we have in the wine world. One of them. One of the most. Now imagine you didn't do this all in bottle. What if you had a big vat and you said, you know what, we're not going to do this all in the bottle. We're going to have a big vat of wine and we're going to put the yeast and the sugar in and we're going to do the second fermentation in a big vat under pressure, but we're going to monitor that pressure and we will be able to control the pressure of that. And then when we're done, we can bottle that and then sell that off. It's, 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 it's more affordable. It's uh, less meticulous. It's less labor intensive. And then we can sell the wine for a little bit less. It'll still be bubbly. It just won't be done in this crazy, meticulous method. This is generally called the tank method, and it was kind of created or understood or invented in um, the late 1800s, like 1890s. And I know tank method doesn't really have that kind of wine romance feel to it. So the term Charmat method was developed because the dude who developed the method his name was Eugene Charmant. So, I mean, it just sounds better, right, I guess. So that is, that is, if, that is tank method. And Prosecco, wine lovers, all Prosecco is done in the Charmant method. And there's a lot of wine being made, a lot of affordable wine being made all over the world that is very good that is made in the Charmant method. So sparkling wine, no matter how it's made, it's always about that second fermentation. It's always about the quality of the, of the materials that are being made into wine. So it doesn't really matter where the sparkling wine is made. 
It just matters that it's made the right way. Like every wine. Just two things to wrap up on here. Number one, there are variants to the traditional method, but you're not going to see a lot of those variants on the American market. But if you want to contact me through an email, I can talk to you all about that stuff. You'll see terms like the ancestral method. Also, when you're opening a bottle of sparkling wine, there's really no need for a loud pop. I know it's really cool and celebratory and NASCAR does it and like horse derbies and stuff. And if you want to do that, it's totally cool. It's your bottle of wine. But really all you need to do is just always make sure you keep your thumb on top of that cork. So when, the, when, you, when you take off the foil, you see the cage. Keep your thumb on the cork on top of that cage. The cage only takes six turns to open. One, two, three, four, five, six. You can lift that cage off. Always keep your thumb on that cork and then slowly try to just twist and coax the cork out of the bottle you really just want to hear a hiss or a small pop and that will make sure that you get all the wine when you do it a little bit harder like that it encourages all the carbonation to fly out so just a word of caution i mean do whatever you want but just a little word of caution so sparkling wine is lunacy it's meticulous it's awesome it's all over the world and we get to drink it and now we know all about it yeah. If you're picking up what I'm putting down, digging what I'm saying, go ahead and give me a rating on iTunes. Maybe even subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe. If you like to type, maybe type up a review. I don't know. Let's help get this wine podcast all the way up top so everybody can learn about wine. I want to give a quick shout out to Nicole Hitchcock, fellow Capricorn and winemaker at Jay Vineyard. She gave me a lot of input on this episode, so thank you so much. Check me out on Instagram. It's at VinePairKeith. I do all my stuff and stories. And also, you've got to follow VinePair on Instagram, which is at VinePair. And don't forget to listen to the VinePair podcast, which is hosted by Erica, Adam, and Zach. It's a great deep dive into drinks culture every week. Now for some credits. How about that? Wine 101 is recorded and produced by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the VinePair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mellon. I also want to thank Daniel Grinberg for making the most legit Wine 101 logo. And I got to thank Darby Seaside for making this amazing song. I mean, listen to this epic stuff. And finally, I want to thank the Vine Pear staff for helping me learn more every day. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Jay Vineyards and Winery. For over 30 years, Jay Vineyards and Winery has developed a reputation as one of the top sparkling wine and varietal wine producers in California. With styles from bright and bubbly to bold and complex, Jay Wines offers a remarkable range and exceptional craftsmanship that you'll want to share. Jay has come to be known for its celebrated estate vineyards, contemporary winery, and world-class hospitality. Uncork joy with Jay and let life bubble over. 